This message by Brian Davis, entitled, Undistracted Men, is made available to you by Covenant Fellowship Church. It was recorded during the third session at our 2022 Regional Men's Conference, Rise Up. Okay, brothers, <clears throat> our final message for this time together, uh, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> Amen. The message in a short sentence, this is something you can tell to your wife, you say, what did you learn at the last message of the men's conference, and it is that as men, we should be more like Mary. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much <clears throat> for these men. What a privilege. What an honor to get to attempt to serve them. I do pray that you would bring much fruit and that the fruit would be disproportionately abundant to our effort and our asking, for you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can ask or think. Would you overwhelm us with a sense of your goodness? Would you call us all to, cause us all to grow, walking closely with our Lord? We ask again, Lord, that you would again sanctify us in the truth. Your word is true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> there is a bad way to say be like someone in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard it. There's a purely moralistic way of doing it. Be more like David. Be more like Abel. Don't be like Cain. Don't be like Saul, Old Testament Saul. Be like Saul, New Testament Saul. <clears throat> and the heart of the concern of kind of attacks on that kind of language is actually very appropriate. Uh, we don't want to think that our attention ought to ever expire on a mere man, but on Jesus. But part of how we live for Jesus, grow in loving Jesus, and living like Jesus is by following faithful examples of those who have. I give a little proof text just to this point so that <clears throat> it might help you or free you in case you heard I said that I want you to be more like Mary and I want to be more like Mary. And you say, but what's up with Jesus? I, I mean it in a Jesus glorifying way. Be more like Mary to the glory of Jesus. And I think Paul gives us this charge and permission in Philippians 3, Philippians 3, where he talks about the surpassing worth of the glory of Christ. Later on, he tells them, he says in 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So part of how we walk faithfully with Jesus is by keeping our eyes on good examples who live faithfully before the Lord Jesus. And I think we have a sister who is worthy of not only our attention, but our imitation. So we'll be looking at Luke <clears throat> chapter 10, and I'll be reading from verse 38 through verses 42. <clears throat> and this is God's word. <clears throat> Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. 
But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Dear brothers, this is God's word, and may the Lord give us a blessing in the hearing of his word to be doers of it. The kind of category for this one as it relates to godly men is that godly men are undistracted men. As the Puritans would have said, they have a singleness of eye. (laughs) My question to just start the time off with is just asking you a question, and that is, are you in this season of your life too busy for Jesus? Are you too busy for Jesus? I love getting to preach sermons I've preached before. Some of them are always applicable and convicting. This happens to be one of them. When I get to pick which kind of text I get to preach, I like to come to this one. I just find it's always applicable. Uh, It's like, man, I needed that one again. (laughs) And uh, so I, I do hope it serves you as well to consider. And it's good that we regularly ask ourselves, am I too busy for Jesus? It's possible, you know. It's not like legitimate, but we can live that way. We all know the feeling of wasting time, right? Time spent the wrong way. And when you waste time, you come to the realization it's, it's gone. It cannot be retrieved or reversed. It cannot be reacquired somehow. It's lost. Well, brothers, as you think about your day-to-day activities, as you think about your daily task lists, as you think about the endless demands that are on your schedule or even the dreams that you want to pursue, let me ask you just this question. Have you taken a step back to examine what things you devote your time to and attention to, and are they actually necessary? Most saints know the feeling of wasting time, right, especially since we're commanded by God to use our time well, right? Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Uh, The saints know the sad reality of time used poorly, uh, particularly as it pertains to being used to draw close to the Lord. We've all experienced, I think, And if you haven't, praise the Lord for you. But most of us have experienced that feeling of a day coming to its close. And perhaps you go to lay on your bed and by God's grace, he brings to your mind, you have not been with me today as you should. And it hits you. I wasted today. I was too busy for Jesus. Gentlemen, do you know that feeling? Are you too busy for Jesus? Well, the reality is nobody is ever too busy for Jesus. We're just too sinful. The Lord who has made the day made it with enough time for him. Unfortunately, though, we are very easily distracted And we are too easily pulled away from where, or rather who, should have the whole of our devotion, right? To labor, excuse me, to not labor, to be close to Jesus is a shame for any believer. It's a double portion of shame for a pastor to not labor, to be close to Jesus, and yet it can happen. We should not confuse doing things for Jesus with spending time with Jesus, and the Lord is kind to call us back to a right direction when we veer off to help gain a right devotion. And we have such a passage that would aid us in that, I think, before us this afternoon to help align our affections more appropriately with his will. I do know that this is a very familiar passage of Scripture for most, uh, but I do hope it is encouraging to you uh, nonetheless. <clears throat> Again, we're looking at Luke 10, 38 through 42. I have three points. Point number one is needing Jesus. Point number two is sitting with Jesus. And point number three is choosing Jesus. Point number one, needing Jesus. 
Uh, the text begins in verse 38. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So our text begins following Jesus schooling a lawyer who was trying to test him, trying to get Jesus to slip up. Uh, Jesus lays the theological smackdown. He answers the lawyer's questions with an illustration of the Good Samaritan. And as the lawyer and the gathered group was soundly silenced, were simply told he left them that way, mic drop, and went on their way. And as they go, then Jesus and his entourage enter a village and are welcomed by Sister Martha. Well, as we read in verse 39 through verse 40, we are introduced to two kinds of devotion, two kinds of responses to Jesus. We get Martha's and we get Mary's. Martha, we're told, welcomed him, verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. So one sister is sitting and listening. The other sister is busy serving. We see two different kinds of responses and devotions to Jesus. I think it's important to understand that this is a contrast of two sisters who both love the Lord. So this isn't a sister who loves Jesus and a sister who doesn't love Jesus. This is two sisters who really love Jesus. It's clear that Martha and Mary love them some Jesus. Now we're told this in verse 38, right? She welcomed him into her house. Uh, that didn't simply include caring for his needs, but for the needs of those who were with him. And Jesus rolled with a whole squad of dudes. He would have had his disciples with him, which is why we can appreciate in verse 40 why Martha said, is overwhelmed with the much serving. This all is what was included in welcoming Jesus. Uh, Jesus had already said previously in chapter 9, verse 48, that whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So not only are we supposed to read in Martha welcoming Jesus into her house as a, man, that's nice, she's hospitable. We're actually supposed to see a theological reception of Jesus as well. She is receiving him and who he comes in the name of. God the Father, the ministry he comes to do, the title of Messiah that he bears. Right, not only did she welcome him, right, but she did so when many people weren't. We're told in Luke 9, 53, that Jesus went into the village of the Samaritans and he found nowhere that would welcome him. A couple chapters later in chapter 13, not only is there people who wouldn't welcome him, we find that there's those that want to kill him. But here we got Sister Martha not afraid of the threats. She is not fearing anything that is frightening and is happy to welcome the Lord, feed him, host him, and host all those who roll with him. This is a sister who loves Jesus. We even get a clear statement of faith from Martha in John eleven twenty seven. She says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Martha loved the Lord, right? And on the other hand, we know that Mary loved the Lord too. Indeed, Mary is known for her love for the Lord. In John 12, 1 through 8, you might remember that vivid scene of devotion where Mary pours the expensive ointment on the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair, the very feet that we're told she's sitting at now in our verse. And as we know from the word, the only reason that anyone ever loves the Lord is because he loved them first. And so we shouldn't be surprised when considering these sisters who love the Lord to find clear evidence in scripture of his love for them, which we find in John 11, verse 5. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister. So this is not the story of one woman who loved Jesus and one woman who didn't. No, this is the story of two women who loved Jesus, but one whose example in this moment is clearly confused. And one 
whose example is clearly commended. One sister who in this moment is wrongly distracted and one sister who is rightly devoted. And the reason I only bring that up is just to say, just because we love Jesus does not mean we cannot be in a season or in a moment where we are wrongly distracted. Those who love the Lord can be wrongly distracted from him. And the question for us is, well, which one are we in this season? Though Martha welcomed him, we find it was Mary who rightly worshipped him. We all have a lot of Martha in us. And here in our text, the Lord holds up his holy mirror that we might examine our devotion to Christ. Make no mistake, being wrongly distracted is displeasing to the Lord. It betrays our love to him. It undermines his worthiness. It questions his value. It refuses to count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ our Lord. And I've known this pattern in my Christian life. Quick shameful things about me. A few years ago, In the providence of God, this got brought to bear on my soul in a rather heavy way where I was confronted with a deformity in my own discipleship. I was preaching through Matthew. I got to Matthew chapter 6, and that phrase, when you practice your righteousness. He goes on to talk about prayer, and it's not a if you practice your righteousness. He says, when you practice your righteousness. And I got exposed for a deformity in my own discipleship. By God's grace, I had always enjoyed praying and prayer with different degrees of regularity throughout my Christian life. But there was definitely a deficiency in my own private devotion. I had not enjoyed what R.C. Uh, J.C. Ryle calls a, a hearty habit of private prayer. Or what I would understand Jesus to even be referring to when he says, when you practice your righteousness, that it is your practice. In Matthew 6, 1. So in my own pride and in my own ignorance, I had become accustomed to neglecting something that is essential. And I was pastoring. And I had to repent. I had to repent and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And if there's ever moments where that comes to bear again or I slide into that again, I have to repent again. I have to be repenting of that and returning to this. So let let us all examine ourselves this afternoon, right? Let's be honest with the Lord Because temptation to be distracted is ongoing, right? Repentance and returning will be ongoing as well. How are you doing now? Do you have a hearty habit of private prayer? I like that he adds hearty. Because if it's just habit, we'd be like, yeah. But hearty is like, I hope everyone in here is in truth walking in passionate pursuit of Christ. I am usually the least holy person in the room. I would be delighted if that was the case today. I hope you all are thoroughly enjoying and being satisfied by a hearty habit of private prayer and unhurried enjoyment of soaking in God's word, of being still before him and seeking him and seeking to abide in him. I hope that is most of you. I hope that you all are attending daily to your prayer closets, that there's no dust there, and that you're enjoying that fresh and regular and rich communion with the Lord that you can. I hope that everyone in here is experiencing the reviving and refreshing and cheering effects of the Word of God, the prayers, and the fellowship. But if in case 
There are a couple, or even if there's just one, who, like me, are given to pride and given to self-reliance. If there are any in here who are like Martha, who, though you love Jesus, you have confused activity for Jesus as closeness with Jesus, well, let's receive some correction from the Lord. Cuts from a friend can be trusted, and Jesus is our best friend. And he gives very faithful wounds. If you got to get rebuked by anybody, let it be Jesus. He doesn't break the bruised weeds, and he doesn't put the smoking candle wicks all the way out. And here in Luke, in our passage, being wrongly distracted is met with a tender rebuke from the Lord Jesus. It's not hard to understand why such a distracted devotion would be corrected by Christ. In the moment of distracted devotion, it causes us to miss the one we claim to be devoted to in a way, right? We miss time with Jesus, with he who our soul loves. We miss out on communing with the Lord, which Jesus doesn't want for any of us. He died so that we can commune with the Lord the right way. And more seriously, if that, un, if that distracted heart goes unaddressed, if left unattended and unrepented of, it does lead us away from the one we love. Here Christ, kind of like we thought about Friday night, he's exhorting us away from that. Now, this is what we see in the church in Ephesus. Chapter 2, right, there's a community that excelled in different works, yet neglected its essential love. Jesus says as he walks among the churches in Revelation 2, 2 through 5, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. He says, I know your wonderful works, killing it. Theology is crisp. You rightly blast the false teachers. You don't tolerate evil doing. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and have not grown weary. You're, you're even, it seems, suffering in some way for, for Jesus. You're enduring for him. You know that he's worth it. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. It's fascinating that all those things could be present and the heart has drifted far away. He's like, I see you serving but I got an issue with your heart. You're serving without love. And we all know without love, we do nothing. Jesus tells that Ephesian church, you're doing things for me without me. Repent and return to the works of love, those of a rightly devoted love, a Mary-like love. Be more like Mary, less like Martha. God has provided this scene of instruction to us in his word that we too might be rightly devoted and not wrongly distracted. Because if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you know the tug towards being wrongly distracted instead of being rightly devoted. You know the tug of feeling like, I got so much stuff to do that I don't know if I can pray and seek the Lord today, which is totally ridiculous to say out loud, but it is how we kind of live. Or that, ah, I know I got a bunch of stuff to do. I just don't know if I have time to read like a big part of scripture. Maybe I'll just do a one, it'll be a one verse morning. And praise God for the one verse. He is able to multiply a small meal and feed thousands with it. But watch the heart that thinks the serving is more important than the sitting. 
There is an essential affection. There is a crucial conviction that the soul must be satisfied and steadfast in devotion to Jesus, that the soul know that its only source of sustaining is Christ, its only source of abiding joy is Christ, that our all in all be Christ. Jesus told her one thing is necessary. It's not optional. It's necessary. This is what we were created for, right? To know the Lord. What is eternal life? That we know him, the true God and the son that he has sent. And in our sin, we seek to find ways of living life away from the Lord. Right? This, this is the, the, the necessity of Christ. We must absolutely know that we need him. Not just cognitively assent to, not just do works that testify, but actually in our heart and in our works prove to ourselves, proclaim to ourselves, show from ourselves, he's the one thing necessary. Which brings point number two, sitting with Jesus. Point number one, needing Jesus. Point number two, sitting with Jesus. I'm, I'm sure if you gave Martha and Mary a theology test, that they would have answered all the questions the same way. But here when Jesus examines their lives, in this moment, he finds some discontinuity between them and their devotion. One claims to know it, the other seems to know it and show it. And look how simple it all is. We see the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ lived out in this commendable example. And look at what's being done. Verse 39, what does this commendable devotion look like? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Notice her posture, brothers, and her pursuit, sitting and listening. Two things we don't do naturally well. We're goers, we're talkers, but an essential aspect of devotion to the Lord is sitting and listening. Remember Jesus, Matthew 11 has been referenced a couple times this week, and he says, come to me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And Mary is doing that here. She's learning from him, sitting with Jesus, listening to Jesus. She sat at his feet, which is a position of humility, and she listened to him, revealing her esteem for his words. We find it a point of plain application that one essential aspect of devotion to Christ is devotion to his word. Bible intake, to love his teaching, to listen to it, to receive it. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, filled with a deep love for God, he connects that with God's teaching. The Lord is my portion, he says. I promise to keep your words. And the saints who have chosen the good portion, they have the same connection with the Lord and with his words. Right In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. While Martha was trying to serve the meals that would perish, Mary picked the plate that wouldn't. In a day and age where everyone is hurried and worried, oh, that there would be more saints who just sit down with Jesus. Now, you are not able to sit with him bodily right now at his feet and listen to him, but you can go eagerly to his word and hear him. Friend, do you regularly, do you daily, do you devotedly sit and listen to Jesus? Martha was distracted, right? And one evidence of her distraction is how she responds when a commendable example is in front of her. Rather than be encouraged by her sister's example, she gets irritated by it. Uh, look at verse 40. Martha, distracted with much serving, she goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. In her mind, it is conceivable that Jesus would charge 
Mary, who's with him, to go do something else that's about him when she could enjoy him as she is. Kind of makes you think, uh, oftentimes churches get involved with doing a lot of programs, a lot of ministries that a lot of saints don't sign up for, and people get frustrated, and they pour themselves out, and they're like, come on, you know, they're up every Sunday, we need more people here, we need more people here, and it might just be a good sign to say, you know what, maybe just stop doing that. Just go pray. Go read the Word. That program clearly is, is probably not necessary. There is something that is. Martha's missing the whole point. She thought Jesus was totally fine with her ignoring Jesus to do other stuff about him. She's like, come on, Jesus. Him, her up. You know that awkward moment where somebody thinks that Jesus is on their side, but he's not. It's like when Peter was like, you're not going to the cross. <laughs> Hashtag oops. Uh, here's, Ma- here's Martha like, come on, tell her to leave you and come work with me over here. She's missing the opportunity. She's missing him. Martha is mindful of what Mary doesn't do, but she's blind to what she herself isn't doing. She's throwing a pity party that her ministry is being left unattended, missing that she left Jesus, who is the focus of ministry, unattended. It's totally possible to do things about Jesus without Jesus. And see the compassion of Christ, just how kind and gentle his rebuke is, verse 41 through 42. But the Lord answers her, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things. You're doing this to you. He says one thing is necessary. You're worried about stuff that's not necessary. There is something that's necessary. He's necessary. Anybody ever told you that you're doing too much? And you got mad at them, but they were right? I mean, just a side charge here as for husbands, especially those who have uh, sweet ministries of hospitality and who have people over at their homes after service and love to talk about the things of God. Make sure your wife is included. That when the people come over, she doesn't get into serving mode and she's trying to make sure everybody got plates and everybody got drinks and while everybody's out fellowshipping in the other room, she's doing something else. It's, it's good to go and say, listen, let's have a sloppy house and some happy souls. Encourage her, help her, make sure that she knows that the needs of the home are subordinate to the needs of the soul. I mean, can we all work on this? As you reflect on your week, as you look at your schedule, as you look at your calendar, would Jesus, looking at how you're living, say this to you? Would he (laughs) scroll through your Google calendar Say, hmm, worried about many things there. If Jesus stayed as a guest in your home, would he be bringing this correction up to you as well? Would he say, Christian, Christian, you're anxious about a bunch of stuff and you're missing the necessary thing. If you're anything like me, yes, I feel like, He would always say this to me. It's one of those portions of Scripture that just seem to regularly and always be applicable. I'm so easily distracted. I'm so easily divided in my devotion. And it's just helpful for me to even put my name where Martha's is here. Brian, Brian, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Many of us are more like Martha. All of us, again, need to be more like Mary. For Jesus commends her example. Jesus commends her love. Jesus commends her devotion. For in her devotion is the right estimation of Christ, that he's actually the necessary thing that the soul needs, that the soul can't live without. One thing is necessary. Mary got it right. Mary chose the good portion. And the question is, are we, are you, is this, in this season of life, are you marked by choosing the good portion? 
Sit down and be with Jesus. Oh, to sit with him, to spend time with him, to talk with him, to learn from him, to have him talk to you. Again, I'm not talking about audible voices. There's a story, the one guy says, man, I really want to hear God's voice. And the minister said, well, then just open up his word and listen. He'll speak to you. His word is living. It's It's active. We see here the seeds of the two main branches of personal devotion to Christ, prayer and scripture reading. It seems like a long forgotten day that when someone came to Jesus, that was just part of how they were taught how to follow him. You got to be in that word every day and you got to be in prayer. As you go, that's necessary. The discipline of Rising and then pleading with God, seeking him in his word. Without those two wings, no saint can fly. No saint thrives without them. No one grows without prayer and scripture reading. Nobody grows without sitting and listening to Jesus. Dads and husbands, it is your job to lead in this being the priority in the home. Now, this is Deuteronomy 6, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The encouragement there was to have a life wrapped in the word of God. As men, we are leaders in our homes, but don't get confused. Our job is not to be Jesus to our family, but it's to make it clear that our family needs to be with Jesus. This means you must be sitting with Jesus. You must be regularly at his feet. You must be in the word yourself. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't call the family to do what you don't. Oh, brothers, be consistent in family worship. Oh, I know it was an exciting day. I know it was a busy day. But listen, we all need to sit down and sit with Jesus. Aim for basically every night. Read through the word of God, pray with them, pray for them, share the gospel with them again and again. Have the family sit with Jesus. Don't be one of these these guys who go on vacations and don't go to church. Don't take your family somewhere and then make them neglect the needed thing. Sing praise to him, songs of praise to God all the time. Again, our job is to proclaim his excellencies. We want to be a great example of that, that this home, what we do is about Jesus. Your family should not be singing for the first time that week on Sunday. Let the worship of God consume your life. Make sure your family has time to sit with Jesus, to listen to Jesus, To be with Jesus. What a shame if you're on time for school. What a shame if you're on time for sports. What a shame if you're on time for meetings. What a shame if you're on time for date nights and for movie tickets and for whatever you else have planned. And there is not time for us to sit with Jesus. One question I had was, when does serving become a hindrance to sitting? Because we, I mean, it's good to serve. It's good to serve God's people. Hebrews says that God is not unjust so as to overlook the love you've shown for his name in serving the saints, even as you still do. So when does that serving become a hindrance to sitting? I think the answer to that is when serving is no longer devotional. And serving distracts from drawing near to Christ. 
If you don't have time to pray before you do, don't do. If you don't have time to get in God's word before you go about, then don't go about. It's the one thing that's necessary. Man can li- can't live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The basic test to give is when we're serving but haven't spent time in the word and in prayer. The question is why? We're all going to have sleeping days where you missed the alarm clock or you slept in and you got to run out the house. I'm not trying to encourage any kind of condemnation for you being human, accidentally sleeping through your clock. What I am saying, though, is but when you have a choice with what to do and you choose the wrong thing, part of this is that this was a decision. Jesus didn't say, man, Mary just happened to, she tripped and fell and just sat there. He said, no, no, she chose to be there. She chose that. You chose to do that, Martha. She chose to do this, and she chose better than you. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the immediate context even of this passage, followed by this text, what do we bump into? (laughs) Oops, a discussion about prayer. The very next line, now Jesus was praying. And the disciples are like, teach us how to do that too. This is what Jesus communicates to his disciples in John 15. I mean, you got to imagine the scene. The Lord Jesus is about to die for them. He's been walking with them. We're talking about Jesus. They've been with him all these nights. They've watched him do all this miraculous signs. They've listened to him teach all kinds of incredible things. And they just even watched him wash them and, and, and give them that sign that his body is for them. He's told them what he's going to do. And then he tells them, listen, I'm not going to be here with you anymore. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to be. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm not going to be here with you anymore. And it's just fascinating the heart of counsel he gives them. He says, I'm about to, I'm not going to remain with you, but he calls them, remain with me. Abide with me. Abide in me. Right, John 15, I'm about to leave, but y'all stay with me. Remain with me. Abide in me. And the question is, well, how do we abide? How do we do that? How do we remain with him who's not remaining with us bodily? How do we still get to sit with him and be with him and stay close to him? In John 15, he says, already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in a vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he tells them, if my word abides in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. Abide in me, and if my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. For in this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, without me, you're not doing anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't mean you won't try to do stuff. You will try to do stuff, but you just won't do stuff. It won't be anything. You can still do a conference without prayer. People will still come to a conference without prayer. You can still do church service without prayer. You can still share the gospel without prayer. But Jesus says very clearly, you will bear zero fruit without me. And then he tells them what to do. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask. That's where we get the word and prayer from. The word in you which comes through reading the word, storing it in our hearts, guarding our way, setting our minds, delighting in it, hoping in it, trusting it, his word in us. And and then he says, ask. Ask and it will be done for you. It's assuming you're asking according to his word. And then what happens is fruitful abiding. Abiding. 
But friends, we mustn't let our schedules lie to us. We mustn't allow our lusts to lie to us. We mustn't let our pride lie to us. There is nothing more important in any day that we will ever live in which sitting with the Lord in prayer and in his word, in which satisfying our souls with his steadfast love is not of the utmost importance and significance. No matter what matters of the day are pressing, and there are many, there are many, many, many things to be anxious and troubled over, but hear it directly from the mouth of our Lord Jesus, only one thing is necessary. There are many things on your plate, many things to be troubled over, many things that will burden you, but only one actual thing that's necessary, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, which means seeking first the king. George Mueller says the first and great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. This is what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring God to us, to be God with us and to never leave to be with us even to the end of the age, to have all that's in heaven accessible to us. This is why Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where, where he is. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Serve a lot, please. Serve hard, but don't serve without him. And God is kind to let us experience both the benefits of when we do and the dangers of when we don't. You've experienced when you wake up on the right side of your soul, and in your mind, it is on you to pray. By God's grace, you wake up, I need him. And you pour out your heart. You offer up supplications, requests, and thanksgivings. You, you rejoice in the Lord knowing that he's at hand. You talk with him. You get a care and you cast it on him who cares for you. And you've experienced the peace that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus as you seek the Lord, as you read his word and get nutrition, as you get strength for the day, as you get guarding for your soul, you've experienced the fruit of it. As a result of you sitting at his feet and you choosing the good portion, you've pled, you've pled with the Lord, you've said, oh, help me today. Help me to be holy. Help me to use the day for your glory. Help me to use it for your honor. Give me an open door that I might share your word. Help me to do my work heartily unto you. Help me with my meeting at 10. Help me be careful with my words and my counseling appointment. Give me wisdom. Bring your word to my mind. Uh, pray for my kids, Lord. Help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Use me to encourage them and so on and so forth. You offer up your requests. And when you lift your burdens of the day and seek him, does he not give you assistance? When you ask in your need, have you not experienced the supply? You got a little bit of strength to fight lust and you don't just, that just you don't come from nowhere. You know, when you're, you're seeking the Lord for it, you pray that you would not enter into temptation and you're able to reflect on, man, he, he gave me a lot of grace in that moment. Or when your kids just aren't listening again and you're inclined to be angry, but just something in your soul reminds you of the strength of a kind word, the subduing of the spirit and the fruit of his word and the answers to prayer and the fruit of abiding. You've experienced this, haven't you? You went into meetings you knew you should have prayed for and didn't, and then the difference when you went and prayed up. I hope you know that. You also know the other days, right? 
when you've experienced being on your own. <laughs> Y'all seen that Martin Luther Jones documentary? There's a, it's on Amazon Prime, it's fire. But there's a, this is completely unrelated, but I think edifying. There was an older lady who was in uh, Martin Lloyd Jones Church, <laughs> and um, she was talking about preachers. <laughs> she said, and she's talking about the experiential proof of them trusting the Lord and preaching. And she said, you know, when you're in there and the word's coming forth and there's a do about, and she just closed her eyes, and it looked like she went right back to that service. She started like even like she was swimming in the spirit. And she said, and just that, that, that the heaviness of his word just rested on you. And she said, and then there's other times when he goes up there and you're like, oh, he's on his own today. <laughs> but preachers say amen. Right, right, yeah. You've experienced that being on your own today. Not because you needed to be on your own. You quenched him. Right, we, we do that. How apart from him, we've experienced how much nothing we can do apart from him. When we presumptuously and pridefully just roll out of bed and get going, not acknowledging him, not acknowledging that we, awoke, we slept and we awoke for the Lord sustained us. Not acknowledging our need for grace to make it down the stairs without falling and breaking our neck. Not acknowledging our heart's deceitfulness and untrustworthiness, our mind's ability to be distracted and set on things of earth. Not asking God to help us. Not even having the sense to do the sinner's prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when you don't seek the Lord for daily grace, he, in his kindness, often, often he gives you what you don't even ask for, right? He's, he's good and gracious that way. Sometimes he lets you feel it, though. He lets you feel what it's like a little on your own. When you haven't sought the Lord, he just sometimes lets you experience the folly of that way. Your day is filled with conflict internally and externally. You and your wife are biting and snapping at each other. You're struggling to be patient, struggling to be peaceful. And the Holy Spirit brings it straight to your attention that this merciful moment God gives you, he gives you this rush of clarity, and you remember, that's because I've been walking in my flesh all day. He who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, and he sows to the spirit will reap life. I'm trying to push out fruit with no power. <clears throat> Jesus let us know that's not going to work. He has booby-trapped the Christian life to not work that way for our good. No fruit, no abiding, no fruit. Jesus says you're a branch and that the life doesn't come from the branch. It comes from the vine. And where are you going to get that life from? Where are you going to get that power from? You want to control your temper tonight? Where are you going to get that power from? You can't push that kind of fruit out. You need wisdom in trial to count it a pure joy. Where are you going to get that from? You're going to have power to push that out. You want to fight your lust? You want to be pure today? Where are you going to get that power from to push that out? You want to be godly? You want to be meek? You want to be gentle? You want to be forgiving? Where are we going to get this power from? You want to serve your wife as Christ loves the church? Where are you going to get that power from? You want to raise your kids in the fear and instruction of the Lord? You need divine power for that. Jesus says, how you get it is by abiding. And he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask, I got you. It's the biggest blank check I know of in the Bible.
Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. According to the word that is in us now. That's how, that's how we abide. We, we know what he wants. We know what he says. We, 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 we listen to him. We, we learn from him. And then we ask for his help to live for him. And you grab that word, you hold it up to heaven, and God says, I got you. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. You've promised me, Lord, that those who look to you will not be put to shame, that you will give them strength when they are weary. He's like, I got you. You've promised me, Lord, that if I look to you, you won't lead me into temptation. You'll always give me a way of escape. He says, I got you. Lord, you call me to forgive, and this is really, really hard, but you've forgiven much more, and I need help. And he's like, I got you. You call me to not be harsh with my wife, but to love her, and to love her like you love her, and I need help with that. Jesus is like, I got you. Pick a promise, any promise. It will be done for you. He's pleased to cause us to bear that kind of, he loves giving us that kind of, he's glorified by that kind of fruit. Jesus says, and it begins with abiding. Notice why Martha isn't sitting with Jesus. It's not the same excuse that we give. I'm doing too much. She claiming to be too busy. We can never be too busy for what we need most. No one was more busy than Jesus, and Jesus prayed more than everybody. Let's bring to our last point, and it's the shortest one, <clears throat> which doesn't mean much for me. But <laughs> and that's just choosing Jesus, choosing Jesus. I mean it in the most reformed way possible. We have decisions in every day. We have decisions. Are we going to make time for him? Are we going to say no to other things for him? Are we going to let patterns and habits dictate what we do? Or are we going to let what is necessary control what we do? Jesus commends this posture towards him and Mary. Look at what he tells Martha about Mary. Her actions are those of one who has chosen or chose the good portion. He says, which will not be taken away from her. She's like, I ain't never going to discourage you from spending time with me. If you ever feel that, just know that is not the spirit of Christ. Now, this does not mean you got to be at work at nine because you were undisciplined with going to bed the night before. You're going to be late to work so you can have a 30-minute devo. That's bad exegesis, bro. You know what you need to do is go to bed earlier, <laughs> use your lunch break and be with Jesus, and make it to work on time. Amen? This good God is the good portion, and we get to enjoy him with full access. He's like, come and get what you what you. Come be with me. Have you chosen, have you chose the good portion? Thanks. Many think you need a high-paying job or a prestigious education or even an education. That that's the good life. That you need to live stress-free or debt-free. Many think you need to have the right relationship, Right? Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, right? So some think you need the right housing, others think you need the right spousing. <laughs> Pastors are tempted to think they need bigger churches, more influence, book deals, nicer buildings, 
Listen, none of that is necessary. None of that is necessary. Saying if you ain't got it, you don't need it. How often have we belittled what we have because of what we don't? God wants us to experience from the depth of our souls the experiential satisfaction in regularly choosing the good portion. Who we were far from because of our sin, we are now close to and given access to because of Christ's redemption. It's, he's brought forgiveness so that we can enjoy God. Justification is a wonderful doctrine. There is one above it. And that is of adoption. We were justified so that we get to have God. We get to be with God so that we can be his people, so that he will be our God. Justification was a necessary prerequisite for enjoying God. There was a judicial matter that hindered that, that made us estranged, that kept us apart. Jesus on the cross handled all of that. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us, nailing it to his cross. He conquered sin, death, and the devil, and even promised that we would all go through the same victorious resurrection as well. He's promised us forever abiding glorified bodies so that, not so we can just live forever, but so we can live forever with God, that we would get God with him. There is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We really should wake up daily and say, man, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The inheritance is God. We get to enjoy God. We get to talk with God. We get to walk with God. He is our defender. He is our father. He is our provider. He is our savior. He is our friend. And we get to walk with him every day. And often we're just too short-sighted to benefit from it. Jesus left heaven so that you might have God now. You have eternal life now. He wants you not just to have life. He says, but to have it in abundance. Mary said what the psalmist said, what everyone who knows the Lord says, and that is, for me, it is good to be near God. And Jesus promises her, and he promises all who rightly esteem him, that portion they have. He lets us know it is the good portion that they have, and it's the forever portion that they'll keep. In Psalm 73, we're told that the Lord is our portion Never divided, never diminished, or that we would live like it. Will we all be ever appealing to the soul, nearer, nearer, my God, to thee? Nearer, nearer, nearer. Brothers, for those of you who are just enjoying the Lord, you can enjoy even more. That's what's crazy. You can't, like, max out. More, we can have more, you can have more. Jesus wants you to have more. You need to have more. Oh, enjoy him, brothers. Talk with him often. Walk with him closely. Listen to him regularly. Await his return eagerly because he is all you really have. Your stuff may be taken away from you. Your family may be taken away from you. Your job may be taken away from you. Your health may be taken away from you. The full use of your mind may be taken away from you. Your church may be taken away from you. Your title 
should you have one, may be taken away from you. Your friends may be taken away from you. Your home may be taken away from you. Your popularity may be taken away from you. But never your Jesus. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for giving us yourself. You gave us more than we had sense to ask. And you truly bless us with the best gifts. I do pray, Lord, that you would help us all. For those who are just walking with you closely, Lord, I pray that they would continue and would abound even more. Oh, may their times of prayer and study be even more rich, even more sweet, even more prolonged. Now, for those in here, Lord, who are infrequent in prayer, for those who have anorexic prayer lives, whose souls are starving, not because a feast is not laid out, but because we haven't went to eat. We've put our hand to the plate and haven't had the sense to lift our hands to our mouths. For those who might be sluggish in soul, and Lord, would you revive, would you redirect, and would you woo us? Woo us back, help us to make necessary changes, even bring them to our minds right now. There's adjustments in schedule. There's accountability we need to set up. Oh, Lord, help us to choose the good portion daily. Help us to be found sitting with Christ, seeking Christ, pleading with Christ, reading of Christ, so we might bear much fruit as we live for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.